Thank you for listening to our church podcast, where it is our joy to share helpful truths from the Bible. We pray this serves as one more tool to help develop leaders within our church and community who love and honor Jesus and reveal it by loving others. If you have any questions or comments about any of the messages, we invite you to join us on any Wednesday, 6 p.m., for a group discussion on the passages and sermons found here. All right, well, we are continuing our study of the Gospel of Luke, and we are in chapter number 7. Uh, Before we jump into the text, though, I want to give a little bit of a review of of John the Baptist. Uh, It's been a few weeks since we've studied John thoroughly. In fact, it's been a couple of months. Uh, So we're going to spend a little bit of time there this morning. John the Baptist had an incredibly fruitful ministry. Mark chapter 1 summarizes his ministry this way. It says, John did baptize in the wilderness and preach the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. That's a summary statement of John the Baptist's preaching ministry. He lived in the wilderness. He lived uh, in the desert. In the desert of Galilee, it looks something like this. This is uh, the area in between Galilee and Jerusalem. This is where John lived. Uh, This is a a very strange place to start a preaching ministry because people don't live here. Uh, John lived out in the middle of nowhere, away from the major cities, away from Jerusalem. He was out in the middle of the desert. And yet large crowds of people came to the desert to hear John preach. We see this in the next verse. It says, There went out unto him uh, all the land of Judea and they of Jerusalem, and were all baptized of him in the river of Jordan, confessing their sins. So uh, droves of people apparently traveled to the middle of nowhere just to hear John preach and be baptized by John the Baptist. This is a far-reaching ministry that John had. All types, all different types of people came to John. We remember in our study in Luke 3, uh, tax collectors, Roman soldiers came to John to be baptized. So this wasn't even just uh, the religious people that were interested. No, uh, it was a very far-reaching ministry that John had. In fact, to give you an idea of the scope of his ministry, the ancient historian Josephus wrote far more about John the Baptist than he did Jesus. John the Baptist was very popular, very well-known. His reputation was widespread. John was a bit of an eccentric character, as the next verse demonstrates. Verse 6 says, John was clothed in camel's hair uh, with a girdle of skin about his loins, and he did eat locusts and wild honey. So John was dressed, I guess, the way you would expect somebody who lives out in the desert to be dressed, uh, away from society, and he ate locusts with honey. He's a bit of a strange bird if you just read the descriptions of him. Uh, We've been in the series going through the Gospel of Luke, and last week we studied how John interacted with Jesus as he's in prison. So this morning, Jesus continues speaking about John the Baptist in the text we see before us. And we're going to see this morning how we ought to respond to a message from a true prophet of God like John the Baptist. But before we get there, we need to talk about how to recognize a true prophet of God from a false one. How can you tell if a preacher is a faithful Bible teacher or a false teacher? I think Jesus gives us several criteria here in this text, beginning with verse 24. When the messengers of John were departed, remember those two messengers John sent asking, are you the one that should come? We talked about this last week. When they left, Jesus began to speak unto the people concerning John. What went ye out into the wilderness for to see? A reed shaken with the wind? What did you go out to the desert to see? This is A question Jesus asks three times. He's trying to get them to recognize what it was about John the Baptist that drove them out into the desert. What caused them to go out there and to listen to him preach? And he says here, you you didn't go out to the wilderness to see a reed 
shaking in the wind, did you? Now, what is he saying here? This is a, a picture of a desert reed. It's a thin plant that bends and moves with the slightest breeze. It's a metaphor for the type of preacher who says whatever wins popularity points with the people instead of standing strong for the truth. And John the Baptist was no reed blowing in the wind. He was a strong and faithful preacher. He preached a message of repentance, in fact, that was so bold, he didn't even back down when uh, preaching to Herod, and that's what got him in prison. He called him out for his sin. And so uh, Jesus is giving us here a way to judge false teachers from the true. I think the lesson is false teachers are more concerned with preaching a popular message than preaching a true message. That's one way you can tell a false teacher from a true. We see this all over the internet, all over television today. Many of the most popular preachers are willing to sacrifice fidelity to the truth of the Bible in order to not say anything offensive. I'm going to give you an illustration here of uh, some of the most popular Bible teachers in America. I'm going to mention a couple of names in particular. Please don't get uncomfortable with that. In the New Testament, the apostles call out false teachers all the time by name. So I'm going to do that this morning. And I want to give you this illustration by way of uh, Larry King's TV show. Maybe you've heard of this. I love Larry King's show because he asks hard questions of whoever he's interviewing, uh, and he doesn't let them sidestep the questions. A few years ago, John MacArthur, one of my favorite Bible teachers, was on Larry King Live, and I want to read for you a transcript of the first question of the interview. Uh, Larry King asked, what happens when you die? That's a simple, straightforward answer. John MacArthur responded, when you die, you go to one of two places according to Scripture. You go out of the presence of God forever, or you go into the presence of God forever, depending upon your personal relationship with Jesus Christ, which is, according to the Bible, the only way to enter heaven. Pretty straightforward answer. Larry King asked this follow-up question. So therefore, a Jew or a Muslim or a Buddhist will not go to heaven? MacArthur, yes. Christian theology and the scripture says only through faith in Jesus Christ. By the way, that's the right answer. Uh, John 14, 6, Jesus made this crystal clear that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through him. But the book of Acts says uh, there is salvation in none other name. The New Testament could not be more clear that salvation is through Jesus Christ alone. Joel Osteen was also on Larry King's show. And he was asked the very same question. Larry King, what if you're Jewish or Muslim and you don't accept Christ at all? Joel Osteen responded, you know... I just, I'm very careful about saying who would and wouldn't go to heaven. I don't know. King, but you believe you have to believe in Christ, and they're wrong, aren't they? Osteen, well, I don't know if I believe they're wrong. Larry King pressed him further later in the interview. He said, what about atheists? Osteen's answer, well, I just, you know what? I'll let God be the judge of who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. That is a reed shaking in the wind. And he's the pastor of the largest church in America. And that shows you something about where the spiritual temperature of our country is. We want teachers who will tell us what we want to hear instead of standing strong for the truth. By the way, did you hear the news this week about the Pope? Who, uh, who said, came out and said that he's in favor of civil unions for homosexual couples. And I think in the next few years we're going to see a complete reversal of the historic Catholic doctrine against homosexuality. Because false teachers don't stand for the truth. They go wherever the current wind is blowing. Not so with John the Baptist. People went out to hear John preach because he was a man of conviction. He stood for the truth even when it cost him. 
Verse 25, Jesus continues, What went ye out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they which are gorgeously apparelled and live delicately are in king's courts. So again, he's asking a hypothetical question. The answer is obviously no. Uh, You didn't go out to the desert to see some guy dressed in expensive clothing. You don't go out to the desert and, and see some impressive person living a lavish lifestyle. No, John the Baptist was dressed in camel's hair with a leather girdle. He was uh, not exactly living lavishly. And that's another sign of false teachers. They often get rich at the expense of the people they deceive. And when you hear a preacher on television say, God will bless you if you send them money, you know you're listening to a false teacher. But that wasn't John the Baptist. He wasn't in the ministry to gain popularity or wealth. He wanted to be a faithful preacher of God's word. Jesus continues of his description in verse 26, What went ye out for to see, a prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and much more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. John was a true prophet of God. He brought God's message to the people. And Jesus says he was more than just an ordinary prophet. He was a messenger handpicked by God, to introduce the Messiah to Israel. He was the prophet that was prophesied. He was the one that Malachi and Isaiah had written of, that somebody was coming who would prepare the way for the coming of God. And that was John the Baptist, who's a very important prophet. Verse 28, Jesus says, I say unto you, among those that are born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. But he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Back in chapter 1 of Luke, you remember the angel Gabriel had said to Zechariah that John would be great in the sight of the Lord. And here Jesus is confirming the greatness of John. John the Baptist was a man of great character. We know this already just from the glimpses we've seen in Luke's gospel. He was willing to stand strong for the truth even when it cost him. He was a man of great humility. Remember when Jesus was rising in popularity and John's followers were starting to follow Christ, he said, uh, that's okay. He must increase and I must decrease. We see John's humility. Jesus says that John was the greatest of the prophets. Now, why would that be? There were certainly great prophets in the Old Testament. I think of somebody like Daniel, who stood strong for this truth, just like John did. He was a man of great character. Why, why would Jesus say that John was the greatest of all the prophets? I think it's because John was tasked with announcing the arrival of Christ. In other words, he was the greatest prophet because he brought the greatest message. He was announcing that the Messiah was here. But then Jesus says, he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than John. And that's a difficult statement to understand. I've been wrestling with that uh, for the last couple of weeks. And I want to try to give an answer. It may not answer all the questions there, but I want to give at least a little bit of help. Uh, But first we need to talk about who it is that is a part of the kingdom of God. Who is Jesus talking about? He says, the one who is a part of God's kingdom is greater than John the Baptist. What is he talking about there? So to start, we need to start with asking, uh, what is the kingdom of God all about? You know, Jesus came announcing the arrival of God's kingdom. We've looked at this in depth, but it's been a couple of months since we've talked about it. Kingdom of God is the realm in which Jesus rules. And all who trust him and submit to his rule are subjects in his kingdom. So if you have repented of your sin and trusted in Christ, you are a part of God's kingdom. 
Now, there's, of course, we've talked about this before. There's a future element to God's kingdom. We know that God's kingdom is only here partially now. <clears throat> and in the future, Jesus will rule here on earth and bring peace and justice throughout the world. But for now, the kingdom of God is seen in the lives of those Christians all around the globe who serve King Jesus. So then, in what way is a follower of Jesus today greater than John the Baptist? How can we even say that? John was the greatest of the Old Testament prophets, Jesus says. So how are we greater than John? I want to look at Matthew's account of the same story because Jesus gives a little bit more detail there. In verse 11 of chapter 11, Jesus says, Verily I say unto you, Among them that are born of women, there has not arisen a greater than John the Baptist. Notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. So there we see, John marked the end of an era. John is the last of the Old Testament prophets. I know he's mentioned in the New Testament, so you think John's a New Testament person, but you've got to remember this is before the cross. The New Testament, the New Covenant hasn't really started yet. And so John was the last of the Old Testament prophets. The New Covenant, the New Testament, had not yet begun until Jesus died and rose again. And so this new era of the kingdom of God begins with Jesus, and we who are his followers today are, are a part of that kingdom. John lived in the era of promise. We live in the era of fulfillment. They were looking forward to the coming Messiah. We look back and recognize what Jesus came for. And that new era of the kingdom of God is greater than the old era. If you read the book of Hebrews, this is mentioned all throughout. It's a key theme, the, how Jesus is superior, how the new covenant is superior to the old. And I think Jesus is saying here that this new era is so much greater that the lowest member of the kingdom of God today is greater than the greatest prophet of the previous era. So let's put this all together now. John, Jesus said John the Baptist was the greatest of the prophets of the Old Testament because he was the forerunner to the, the Messiah. He carried the greatest message, and he was privileged to be in the position of one announcing the coming king. We are greater than John, not because we're of greater personal character, but because we have an even greater message. Uh, John didn't understand that Jesus was coming to redeem mankind. He thought, as we saw last week, that the Messiah was coming to save Israel from the Romans. We understand through the writing of the apostles in the New Testament that Jesus was coming to do something far greater. He came to die and rise again in order to purchase our forgiveness so we can be made right with God. And each one of us, as members of the kingdom of God, is given the privilege of spreading that message to the world. In other words, all of us are prophets. I don't know if you've realized that. Uh, proclaiming the gospel is not something just for, for preachers or for pastors to do. This is for every Christian. Everyone who's a part of God's kingdom is tasked with the message uh, that, that we spread to the world, that Jesus died and rose again so you could be forgiven. Uh, Paul makes this explicit in 2 Corinthians, uh, that we've been entrusted with the gospel, the news of Jesus Christ, uh, that we can spread that to the world so that they can be reconciled. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, who's the us there? If you look back to verse 17, it's anyone who's in Christ. 
If you're in Christ and you've been made a new creature, to you has been given the ministry of reconciliation. God's given us that message to spread to the lost world. Paul continues in verse 19, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. How can we be greater than John the Baptist, the, the greatest of the Old Testament prophets? By spreading the gospel. We are ambassadors for Jesus. We represent God to the world, and we proclaim the message that they can be made right with God. After talking about the greatness of John the Baptist, the crowd responds in verse 29, says all the people that heard him and the publicans, I like how they're always singled out. They're not even in the group with the rest of the people. Uh, these are considered the worst of sinners, the tax collectors. But all the people, including the tax collectors, justified God being baptized with the baptism of John. As we saw earlier, a large percentage of Jews living in Israel did listen to John the Baptist and they responded with obedience. They, they heard his message of repentance and baptism and they came to the desert to be baptized of John. Even the tax collectors agreed with what Jesus was saying. And notice there it says that they justified God. Don't get tripped up on that. The word justify, uh, we speak of it normally in terms of salvation, but the word simply means to declare righteous. So they were declaring that God was righteous, that God was just. Uh, they were agreeing with what Jesus said. They had listened to John the Baptist. But in verse 30, there's one group who didn't listen to John. And that's the religious people. And this is no surprise to us at this point as we've been studying through Luke's gospel, we've seen this over and over, that the lowliest of people respond to God, and the religious people that should have known often reject God's message. Verse 30, But the Pharisees and lawyers, that's the scribes, rejected the counsel of God against themselves, being not baptized of him. That's speaking of John. So they, know who Je they knew who John was. They had heard John's message, but they refused to respond with obedience. And at this point in Luke's gospel, again, this should not come as a surprise. He's been pointing out all throughout how tax collectors, even the worst of sinners, respond to God's message while the religious people ignore it or reject it. The one group who might be least expected to respond to a prophet of God did. And the group who, you, who should have known better and should have listened to God's prophet refused to. And the spiritual blindness and rejection of the religious leaders uh, is a key theme throughout Luke's gospel. Now, in the next couple of verses, Jesus gives us an analogy uh, to describe the reaction of the religious people to God's prophets who are sent to them, to give them a message from God. Uh, what, is, what is this comparison? It's interesting. Verse 31, uh, Jesus says, Whereunto then shall I liken the men of this generation? And so what are they like? That's a typical uh, Jewish way that rabbis would start a, an analogy. He's following a tradition there. Verse 32. They are like unto children sitting in the marketplace and calling one to another and saying, We have piped unto you and ye have not danced. We have mourned to you and ye have not wept. So the illustration Jesus gives here is of children playing in a marketplace. And the point is, the religious people are like kids who are not responding properly to music that's being played. So in other words, you, you play a flute like you're at a wedding and they're refusing to dance. And when it's time for a funeral, you play a dirge and they're refusing to weep. They're not responding appropriately. When you hear the funeral music, you're supposed to mourn. 
And Jesus is saying to the religious people, when you hear the message of a prophet of God like John the Baptist, your response should be to listen and obey. But the religious people, of course, did not. They rejected John's message. Now, why did they? Why did they reject John the Baptist? Why don't they listen to Jesus now as he's teaching? Again, many of these same religious people are going to uh, reject Jesus ultimately and condemn him to death. Why do they do this? Verse 33, Jesus explains, John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and ye say he hath a devil. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, And you say, Behold, a gluttonous man and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. So a prophet sent from God comes, and they criticize him because he doesn't eat normal food or drink any wine. Remember, John was a Nazarite. He took a Nazarite vow from his birth, and so he he was uh, precluded from drinking any sort of juice or wine of any kind. So the religious people look at John, and they say, That guy's crazy. Uh, He's living in the desert. He's eating locusts. You know, this guy's a kook. Why should we listen to him? He's weird. And then Jesus comes, and he does eat bread, and he does drink wine. And they say, look at him. He's a glutton and a drunkard. So they don't like John because he lived in the desert and uh, was strange to them. He lived away from the people. And they don't like Jesus because he had the opposite lifestyle. Now, isn't this typical of religious people? They criticize for the dumbest reasons. And I think, again, we learn a principle here for evaluating True and false teachers don't judge style as much as substance. Judge a preacher by the content of his message, not how nice of a guy he seems to be or what a great speaker he is. Don't look at those externals. Look at the message that he's proclaiming and compare it to Scripture. The apostles, uh, sorry, it's because, uh, sorry, the apostles regularly point out in the New Testament, I mentioned this earlier, they point out specific false teachers. And at times, they even call them by name, and they tell the Christians in those churches, avoid that guy, he's teaching error. But it's never because of some petty reason like what these religious people saw. It's because they're teaching doctrinal error. So we do need to be careful. We need to be careful about who we listen to. We need to be careful about making sure that we're not having false teachers and influences that are teaching us doctrinal error. That is an important thing to have discernment in those areas. But don't criticize and bash somebody uh, for ridiculous reasons like these religious people did. And by the way, I, I have heard some of the most absurd things said about preachers that are slightly different than somebody else. I think we need to be careful about if somebody's in a different denomination, that doesn't necessarily mean they're a heretic just because they have a different uh, sign outside their church or something. I've heard uh, preachers criticized because they don't wear a tie when they preach. And I want to say, you would not have liked how John the Baptist dressed. At least, at least... <laughs> Those preachers aren't wearing leather girdles. Okay, I've heard preachers criticized for having facial hair. A guy, a guy grows out a goatee or something, and they think he's a liberal now. Again, you would not have approved of John the Baptist or Jesus because they both had beards. Uh, I've heard churches who, start, uh, who stopped supporting missionaries because their missionary's wife wore pants instead of a skirt, and they put a picture on Facebook or something, and they dropped their support. There's a lot of stupid and shallow reasons to criticize faithful preachers. And religious people can be some of the most nitpicking critics out there. At the end of verse 34, the religious people also didn't like Jesus' associations. He says he hangs out with tax collectors and and sinners. That's another typical attitude that religious people can have. We won't listen or submit to that guy because he hangs out with people we don't approve of. That's secondary separation. It's not, I won't listen to this preacher because he's teaching error. I won't listen to him because he's friends with somebody else that I don't like. 
judged preachers by the content of their message, not by the way they look or who their friends are. Verse 35, he says, Wisdom is justified of all her children. Again, the word justify simply means to declare just or righteous. So wisdom is declared righteous by all her children. And the children of wisdom is the one who follows wisdom. In other words, Jesus is saying the way of wisdom is shown to be right in the lives of those who follow it. You can tell a wise decision by its results. And the results for the Pharisees and scribes who chose to reject John's message and Jesus' message as well is eternal punishment. The results for the tax collectors and lowly sinners who responded correctly to the message of John the Baptist by repenting and being baptized and then following Jesus, their reward is access to the kingdom of God where they're elevated to the same level as a great prophet. So here we see that wisdom is shown to be right in the lives of its followers. So what do we learn from this text? We're going to conclude this and say, what's the application for us today? I think, number one, responding to God's message is a decision that each of us must make. Uh, First of all, when we're presented with the gospel, uh, John the Baptist in chapter 3 came preaching that people should repent of their sins in preparation for the coming of Messiah. Repent and trust in Jesus. That was his message. Then Jesus came and framed the message in terms of the kingdom. He said, repent and believe the good news of the kingdom. It's essentially the same message. We call it the gospel. And if you're new to Christianity, this is the message you need to hear. By the way, you may be a religious person without being a Christian. You might be a churchgoer without being a true follower of Christ. The Pharisees studied the Bible. They, they thought they were the holiest of all. They lived righteous lives ostensibly, but they rejected the message of the gospel, and they were condemned as a result. So the first response to God's message that each person in this room needs to make is to respond with faith and repentance to the gospel. Jesus died and rose again to purchase your forgiveness, and if you repent and trust in him, you'll be saved. How you respond to that message makes all the difference in your life now and in eternity. For those who have responded to the gospel properly, the question then is how will you respond to the rest of God's word? And that includes here at church as I preach each week and present God's word to you. It also includes you on your own, reading and studying scripture. How do you respond when you read the Bible? How do you respond when you hear a sermon? Do you have a heart that's ready to respond with obedience to God's word? Or are you like the religious people in Jesus' day? The bratty kids who refuse to go along with the music that's being played. This is the central point of what Jesus is teaching here. You must respond properly, appropriately, to the message of God. The religious people rejected John and his message because they found his style distasteful. The common people repented at his preaching and obeyed when he told them to be baptized because they recognized that he was a true prophet of God and they responded to the message of God with obedience. And how you respond to God's word makes all the difference in your life. James gives us a good illustration of this in his letter. James 1.22 says, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass, or a mirror. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. So James is saying here 
When you hear the word of God, whether it be from a preacher or from your own study of scripture, you have a choice to make. Am I going to hear the word of God and ignore it, or am I going to obey it? And, and James compares the Bible to a mirror. Uh, when you first wake up, one of the first things most of us do is look in a mirror to see what damage has been done over the last few hours, right? And hopefully, when you looked in the mirror this morning, you didn't just walk away and come to church. Uh, most of us, when we look in a mirror, we see something wrong and we try to fix it. What's the point of a mirror if you're not going to do anything about it, about the, the information that it gives you, right? If you see something wrong and then you just walk away, what was the point of even looking in the mirror? If you look in a mirror, you see food, in your, food on your face or hair that's messed up and you just walk outside and go about your day without fixing the problem, there's no point in even having a mirror. And it's the same with Scripture. That's what James is teaching. When we read the Bible, when we come to church to hear the Word of God, we ought to come with a readiness to align our lives to what we see in Scripture. And when we hear teaching in Scripture that convicts us, often as we read, uh, even the last few weeks, as we've been studying Jesus' sermons in the, in the Gospel of Luke, I don't know about you, but I've been convicted by some of the things Jesus has taught. And at that point of conviction, when you feel, uh, my life is not living up to this, you have a decision to make. Will we ignore God's message, like the religious people of Jesus' day, or will we correct the problems in our life that the Word of God has pointed out? So are you a hearer only, or are you a doer of the Word? The choice is up to you. Every time you open the Bible, every time you come to this church, you make a decision about whether you'll be a hearer only or a doer of the Word of God. And your response to God's message in this book is the most important decision in your life. How you respond to God's Word determines your eternal destiny as well as the direction of your life here and now. And every day, each one of us demonstrates by our lives whether we are a hearer only or a doer of the Word. Wisdom is justified of all her children. Father, I pray that you would plant these truths deep in our hearts, that we would come to the Scripture with a willingness and a readiness to obey, to make changes in our lives as we see uh, that we are off track, that we are not living according to the Word of God. I pray that you'd help us to have discernment as we listen to teachers and preachers, that we would evaluate them based on the content of their message, not on their style, not on their personality, but on what they're saying and whether it aligns with Scripture and whether they stand strong even when the message might be unpopular, or whether they shake like a reed in the wind. I pray that uh, you would help me, God, as I attempt to preach your word faithfully, not to be a reed shaking in the wind. Help me to be strong and to be a man of convictions like John the Baptist. Help me to teach your truth accurately and faithfully. And I pray for each of us, God, myself included, as we come to the word of God, as we read it, as we hear it taught, that we would uh, open up our hearts to you and just ask you to show us ways in which we need to improve, ways in which we need to make changes in our life. Pray that we would look into the mirror of your word and correct whatever, whatever flaws you might point out. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. We hope the message you just heard was helpful to you. It means a lot to us that you would join us for this podcast. For more information about our church and meeting times, visit lbcmiller.com or call us at 219-885-9303. We would love to hear from you.